Hey everybody, welcome to SCI CureCast, the podcast that we hope feeds the movement we need to cure paralysis from spinal cord injury. My name is Matthew Roderick. I'm the executive director at Unite to Fight Paralysis, and this podcast is brought to you by Unite to Fight Paralysis. Thanks for tuning in. We are somewhere around a dozen episodes, so if you've come to us for the first time today, please go back and take a listen to the previous. It'll help you give a little context to what we've been talking about and uh, catch you up. Now, a couple of business items. One, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us your feedback, your suggestions, topics we haven't discussed you'd like us to discuss, guests you'd like us to have, uh, even critiques if there's something you don't like. Please let us know. Um, you can email us at curecast at u2fp.org. We'd love to hear from you. Secondly, Unite to Fight Paralysis is behind the Working to Walk Science and Advocacy Symposium, if you did not know that. And it just so happens Working to Walk is coming up on October 13th and 14th in Miami, Florida. Our title sponsor is the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis. Thank you to them. And that leads in a little bit today to our conversation, which is going to be with two folks from U2FP. Uh, Some of you may know, some of you may not. But we thought it would be cool to have a conversation with them uh, to talk about a little bit about what U2FP does, who we are, uh, what we do in the space, and also that leads itself into working to walk. Uh, these folks are very instrumental in putting together the agenda and having, uh, creating and maintaining the relationships with scientists that we have. And I think you'll find it interesting. I, I found it interesting. Um, I hope you do too. Now, lastly, um, we are not professionals. And as you will see, uh, we do this podcast via Skype. And when you have four people from across the country having a conversation, sometimes the audio gets a little wonky. So be patient with us. We continue to refine how to do this. Um, but don't don't be too distracted by that. It's it's I'm I'm overstating. It's a little just a little bit here and there. I did some editing to get some of that stuff out. But just as a reminder. And it's also a little bit long, but I think you'll enjoy the conversation. I sure did. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to SCI Curecast, the podcast that we hope feeds the movement we need to cure paralysis from spinal cord injury. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it is a lovely mid-August day here in Minneapolis, and today we're doing um, something a little different. Uh, we are uh, going to give you a little more of a flavor of Unite to Fight Paralysis, and today we have a couple of guests who've been around U2FP for quite some time. Uh, both of them have been... Um, mentors to me and inspiring to me in their work over the years uh, and my interaction with the Working to Walk conference. And that's the other part is that we were kind of hoping to do this because Working to Walk is coming up in October 13th and 14th in Miami. Uh, sponsored, our title sponsor is the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis. So we also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, these couple of folks and their work and stories and then also as it, as it relates to the Work to Walk Science and Advocacy Symposium. So, without further ado, I'm here today with Kate Willett in Seattle. Hello, Kate. 
Good morning. And Donna Sullivan in Dublin, Ohio. And I will say good afternoon from Dublin, Ohio. <laughs> and also Chris Powell from Alliance, Nebraska. We're at somewhere between the two. Hello. Hi, Chris. So uh, we were hoping to have this conversation with you both today. Uh, again, as I said, to sort of unpack a little bit or maybe even do a little connect the dots um, with uh, some of the stuff that we do at U2FP. So let's start, Chris, with you. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit of uh, how you became involved with Unite to Fight Paralysis? What led you uh, to that threshold? Well, in 2005, my son was injured in a motor vehicle accident, and I began trying to search out and find out where the science and research was as far as finding uh, a therapy or um, mm. how far advanced the research was in uh, helping him. Um, I was searching online and couldn't seem to find anything that would kind of lead me to believe that there was a therapy out there that could help him. And I thought I need to do a little bit more searching and figure this out because as I was going along, I would find out that a lot of the articles that I was reading were things that were going to be way, way into the future. There wasn't anything that was pressing that was coming up right away. And I thought, I really need to kind of get to the bottom of this and figure out, is there uh, therapies that are coming up right away, or are we looking long range? And what I found was, uh, it seemed like to me, everything that I was reading was swaying everybody in the community to believe that something was going to be just around the corner. Hmm. And as the years went on and on, I figured that um, this this wasn't the case at all, that we were kind of being um, misled by some of the articles and things that we were reading that had the words spinal cord injury in them. I'm curious, did, did you have any background in, in uh, you know, the science or in, in the healthcare field or anything like that? I, I was thinking of the reason why I ask is like I'm thinking of so many people, the trajectory, like similar to mine, was like to go towards therapy and sort of push the envelope of therapy. So, you, you know, you get your hospital therapy and then you find out there's these activity based therapy centers like, you know, the watershed of Project Walk and others. And it's sort of through that avenue that, you know, people push on the research side. Did you, what what took you there immediately? Well, kind of what happened was, as I was reading some of these things, I was trying to figure out, because I actually did not have much of a medical background at all. I had worked in a, a rest home and, and was a supervisor with the Office of Human Development. But what I found was um, uh, a lot of the things that I was reading, as I would kind of dive into it and read the abstracts and the, the open access papers from journals, it was very difficult to understand for a layperson. And um, 
uh, some of it really kind of intrigued me. And I thought, well, in order to more fully understand this, I need to understand the vocabulary and what is it we're actually doing. Because there was there was not a real good connection between a layperson and the research papers that were coming out of the labs. And so what I did was uh, some of them that uh, were kind of being hyped online, um, I would look up that researcher and I was afraid that they wouldn't answer my questions. But as a layperson, I would write an email and I would explain to them, I'm a layperson, I'm a mother of an injured uh, person, but I really don't know what you're trying to get across here. Um, maybe your methodology or uh, the vocabulary is so above and beyond me. Can you help me? And so I would try to ask some very pointed questions as a layperson. And I was kind of surprised. I really wasn't expecting much of an answer from these researchers when I would contact them and ask questions. You know, what what is your work and, and are you really getting close to uh, a therapy or, you know, how important is your work on mm. coming up with uh, a mechanism of regeneration? And I was really quite surprised in the beginning what kind of drew me into this whole thing is that I started getting responses. I wasn't really expecting a response, but instead I was quite delighted when I found out that they would engage me immediately. Hmm. Um, I, I would explain who I was and I would ask questions and I developed kind of a friendship with many of them that I fully did not expect a response from at all. And in the process of asking questions and going back and forth, um, a friendship would develop. And then after a while, I found that some of them were more interested in getting out to the general public and the lay people such as myself and the patients themselves, they were interested in uh, the rest of us really knowing and understanding their work. And so I found some of them were actually sending me some of the pieces that they would write up and say, I want this piece to be understood by the common lay person, what I'm doing in my lab. <laughs> and so wow, I would that's like great. to go through and look at this, and I, I want people to understand my work. And you should go ahead look through it. That is and amazing, I, Chris. I got to interrupt you. I had no idea that that was how you got started. <laughs> it seems like when I, by the time I met you, you had already gone through that whole process. And so I just, I just, did, I never knew how you got going. And I want to just point out what a simple thing to call somebody up and say, I don't get what you're doing. Can you help right. me understand it? I don't understand it. forward approach. You must be like from Nebraska or something, <laughs> just this practical person. Yeah, you know, and, and I explained to him, you know, I'm, I'm no PhD student. I don't understand. And so they would help work me through the vocabulary and, and what certain sentences meant or, or what their premise was of the work that they were doing. And it was really quite nice. You know, several of them that, that worked with me, um, you know, on, on a very uh, intricate basis, you know, after a while, I kind of felt guilty. I thought, 
maybe I'm taking up too much of their time, but a lot of these emails and exchanges were taking place late at night. They would give me fax numbers, and I would I would fax information and questions into them. They would respond, fax it back. And I kind of joked with one of them. I said, you understand, you have taught me so much. I mean, I wish that... Um, there was a way that I could repay you or that I could be one of your students or something like that. And they, they kind of laughed after a while and said, actually, you're catching on to this a lot faster than some of the PhD students that I have in my lab. So I kind of laughed about that, but yeah, it was, it was kind of fun. And, and a, a lot of it, you know, I would go to um, a special meetings and stuff where the scientists, I was the only non-scientist person. I wasn't a researcher or a PhD student. I would show up at their meetings and sit in the back of the class and I would take all of this in and absorb it. And, um, you know, uh, researchers that knew me would take me around and introduce me to the other researchers in some of the other labs. And so people got to where they would kind of know who I was. And some of the students would ask me, well, what are you doing here then? You know, so I would explain to them and and I would explain to them what U2FP was and why I was there. I said, I don't mean to be spying on you. I just want to understand what you're doing because your work is very, very important. And if there's a way that we can help you, I want to know about that. So, and so, so hold, on, hold on one second. Where in that... Um in that timeline from, you know, when your son was injured and you started to kind of dig uh, for, you know, an understanding of what was possible or potential down the line, where did you then come, come to find Unite to Fight Paralysis? Where, where was that? Well, uh, Unite to Fight Paralysis I found pretty much right away. Um, the first year after my son was injured, um, it was a tough year, oh, as it is for everybody, you know, just yeah, getting our yeah. feet on the ground and trying to find wheelchairs. So I wasn't really involved on that at first initial year, except for what few minutes I had late at night. I would I would look online and, um, you know, become frustrated because I couldn't find anything and I couldn't I couldn't find the answers in the search that we're all looking for. Mm. I could not find the answer. And so that first year. um you know, was pretty much spent trying to get him and his family uh, back up and going again. Um, you know, everybody's had that same story, that first initial shock. It takes you about a year to try to get your feet back under you right. and and for the family to survive. And so immediately after that, like in 2006, I ran on to Unite to Fight Paralysis and uh, started sending emails and saying, you know, I believe in what you guys uh, say you're going to do and what you're, uh, what you have going for the community. And so I went to my first working to walk conference and I've been with them ever since. And um, so following the science is just one of the fortes that I've uh, lent to the group uh, to help follow the science uh, as closely as we possibly can. Mm. And so, so, yeah, so I should just throw in there that, uh, uh, Chris uh, curates a blog, uh, the spinal cord injury. Is it spinal cord injury? Sp yes. It's a spinal cord. Spinal cord injury uh, research and advocacy uh, blog, yes. which you can find on the U2FP website. And uh, essentially, 
you know, Chris is always digging and uh, paying attention to what's happening in the research, and we'll add that into our blog. Um, and more recently, um, maybe you can. Uh, well, we can, we can talk about it a little further down the line. Um, some of the ideas for the future and in making that blog more effective and and a little provide a little more context let's let's switch over to to donna um donna in this kind of in the same way um uh maybe you can talk a little bit about um you know what happened in in your family and how that led uh, you to where you are today. And let me pause just also here. I, I probably should have done explained Chris in the blog before she got started. But Donna um, uh, works for U2FP as well and uh, primarily oversees our scientific advisory board and uh, uh, along with other things, and particularly the working to walk. Um, planning and, and with a focus on the agenda. Um, so, Donna, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and, and kind of your story? Sure, I'd love to. Um, my journey started back in 2005, and I, just like Matthew and Chris here, uh, my son was injured. And we went through pretty much, you know, it was the same journey that Chris had described. The First thing, he had multiple injuries, so he needed to be stabilized. We needed to get him to a place where we could actually uh, consider rehab, aggressive rehab. Um, we traveled to a couple of different places to pursue additional rehab outside of the facility he was initially in. And uh, that proved to be very beneficial for him, and we got a lot out of that. After that time period... Like many others, the next what, thing we wanted to do was figure out. Hmm. I'm so, Diane, I was just curious when you said he got a lot out of that. I mean, that obviously that made me made my oh, ears perk up. Yeah, like, what, yeah. What, what was the a lot that he got? Well, you know what I think. Um, I think we went to an activity-based center. That was the third place we went to. The second place we went to was actually a second look program at the Rehab Institute of Chicago. And there, um, he actually got up. Um, he has a T12 injury. He got up in leg braces. He learned how to go up and down stairs in leg braces. He learned to um, get up and down off the floor using his leg braces and a walker. And he spends a good part of his day upright which I think has been very advantageous in a number of ways. Um, had we not have gone there, I don't think that would have happened. And I, I think, and I've shared this with others, uh, and not even so much each facility you go to, but each therapist that you work with, I think they provide um, additional information. So I think for us, it was it was important to to gather that information from different parties. If you're just working with one person, you know, you might be missing out on some opportunities. So you know, my recommendation is to you know, just like anything else, seek a second opinion. That's what we did, a second and a third opinion, and um, it worked to his benefit. Mm. Okay. So Thanks. after sure after after the rehab part of it, then 
like Chris, I'm exploring the research. Where do we go from here? What's available? Are we missing something? You know, are there clinical trials we should be participating in? And I came across um, on a blog information about working to walk, and I thought, okay, let's start there. There's going to be researchers there that I can actually talk to. So that's that's kind of cool. Back then, a um, little intimidating, less intimidating now. Um, like Chris, I have found researchers to be very open um, sharing their research and helping. I would just interrupt you one second, Donna, to say it would surprise me if um, researchers aren't scared of you at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure they see you coming. Okay. Got to be on my best game right now. (laughs) They have been so open and so helpful. Um, It's been great. And, and actually, you know, I was, it's somewhat disappointing because where my son was initially uh, for, his, for his inpatient uh, in the hospital and then again in the rehab facility, there is a large research department there. I had no clue that there's this group of researchers working on spinal cord injuries. And I did not find that out until it was probably a year and a half later that there's some excellent research right there. I'm going, how did I not know this? Why isn't this being shared? Um, You know, I, I think it would benefit everybody, you know, to understand, well, first of all, that there's research out there, you know, that people are working on this. Uh, it's a little disappointing when you don't hear about any of that during your initial, you know, stay at the hospital and in rehab. So um, I think what U2FP tries to do is, is to fill that gap in many ways, to let people know that there are people working on this and there is some promising research. Um, but for me, I'll go back to, uh, I digress, go back to uh, working to walk. I attended working to walk with my son. And this was, I believe, the second working to walk. It was 2007. And it was in Washington, D.C. I'm thinking you were there, Kate. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, I was there. That's back in the times when we were working on um, getting a piece of legislation passed in Washington, D.C. And yes. uh, that was... That was my initial advocacy effort, was working on that piece of legislation. And, and I'm going to like tell a sh- quick story on Donna, um, <laughs> because <laughs> we, <laughs> I remember you standing up during one of the conferences in Washington, D.C., while we were still working on that piece of legislation and sharing with the group that you had your legislator's number on speed dial on your phone. So that you could call him and check in every day or so and make sure that he still knew that you cared about what was going on. (laughs) That always has impressed me. It's the thing about you that I remember most clearly. Here's this mom going, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can, and that includes this. I don't care if he doesn't like me. <laughs> well, and and <laughs> some of them, great. and some of them necessarily did not, but you know that's okay too. Whatever. <laughs> Eventually, right? Whatever. Eventually, we did get the bill passed, which which was quite a feat when you think about um, all the bills that are introduced. Only five percent of them 
are actually signed into legislation. So, I mean, think about that. Think that our community was able to get that done. Um, I think there's more opportunities for us going forward. And actually, I mean, Matthew, you're working on some of that as it relates to legislation. I just think there's a lot of opportunities, which is why I continue to do this work, for us to advance research. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to, I mean, yeah, I, I think so. Um, the Obviously, what, what we've been working on more recently at the state level is very different than the federal level, but um, I think that's an eventuality. I'm really curious about something sort of backtracking. Uh, you know, both of you have articulated this, this, uh, this response from the research community and, you know, in somewhat different ways, but, but very much, you know, this is indicative very much of the spirit of Unite to Fight Paralysis. And, this idea of, of um, connecting the community to the, the SCI community to the SCI researcher community. And I'm curious if, if you can if you can describe maybe why, why do you think the researchers have been, you know, for both of you, Chris, you know, why, why do you think they responded uh, willingly to you and were willing to educate you along the way. And Donna, why, why do you think um, uh, there has been, you know, to almost to the point where Kate mentioned, I don't know if it's true or not, maybe it is, but, you know, that they're even fearful of you, um, you know, or fearful of what U2P represents given the work that they do. Why, why do you think they're responsive and open? Well, I'll go ahead and go first. I, I got the impression when I first started contacting researchers and asking them about the research or the PhD students, I got the initial feeling that uh, they hadn't been contacted very much, that there was uh, an empty space between the community and uh, any type of organization or somebody that was actually interested in their work, that mm. there was uh, just kind of a, an empty space there. So I, I think when I came along and started asking a lot of questions and attending meetings and stuff, I think they were a little bit surprised at the, uh, the community and, and the actual interest. And um, uh, suddenly, you know, they understood what 2FP was. And uh, then we started putting together, you know, uh, uh, actual speakers and stuff. You know, would they be interested in coming and speaking with us and understanding where they were in their research, if it was close to translation or whether they were basic research? But um, I think initially they were a little taken aback, um, you know, that there was that much intense interest in their work and that somebody was actually following and uh, uh, watching their grants through the NIH. I think they were kind of taken <laughs> aback by that. Yeah. 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 Donna, what, do you, what, what, what are your impressions? Well, I've actually asked that question. Why will you work with me? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, you need to know that. Um, what is it? Uh, you know, that moves them to work with someone like Chris. I have no background in science. Um, I did everything I could do to avoid biology. 
uh, this just <laughs> this is not my bag at all. Um, and the answer I get back, and I think it applies to to each of us here, it has to do with the passion I have for moving the research forward. They detect a passion to support their work. And for that reason alone, they are willing to work with me. Well, so um, true. so there, I, have to throw, I have to throw a little tiny wrench in there. Cause oh, dear. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you. I agree with both of you. Um, yet at the same time, I, I mean, there have been a few occasions where that same passion, that one researcher responds to... Uh, you know, willingly, another researcher doesn't particularly like if it means I have questions about their research or I have questions about their strategy or, um, you know, I've had a couple of researchers say to me, well, you can't, um, you can't apply your questions, say, for instance, to, you know, acute research versus chronic research or, um, uh, you know, really passionate about driving that science through translation to, to clinical relevance. And there's sometimes a little resistance to that passion. I mean, is that also true, you know, or is it just everybody, um, everybody's open arms and embracing? Well, I guess I'm not asking the people who wouldn't give a reply like that. <laughs> First of all, um, <laughs> Second, um, the only the only resistance, um, and I really haven't. I, I've had very little resistance, and actually, the resistance that um, I've encountered wasn't specific to me. Um, it had more to do with, you know, perhaps other people who attended Working to Walk, and you know, would speak out. Um, mm. You know, as it really it's, sometimes the word cure. Uh, you know, why do you use the word cure? Yeah, People, sure. uh, researchers are somewhat hesitant to use that word. Mm-hmm. Um, the acute versus the chronic, uh, you know, many researchers feel that, you know, they, and, and I, I understand now why some of the research starts with acute. You know, a lot of it has to do with just the financial piece of it. Uh, they need to get something going uh, to work it into a paper to get some additional funding. Uh, but over, overall, really, I think, um, I don't know, I've had a very easy time, I would say, working with 98% of the researchers that I work with. Yeah, I would I would say the same thing, Matthew. In that uh, there's a there's a few that are pretty protective about their science, and in the process of gathering this information, you know, one kind of becomes more aware of the publication and grants part of it. Also, is that. Uh, in this particular field, uh, it's a tiny field compared to right, um, right. other patients and other diseases. Mm. But by the same token, it makes it uh, a pretty competitive uh, area for funding and grant money right. and for publications in, in all of the best journals and stuff. So you will find them... Um, you know, becoming quite protective about some of the, the science or where they're going or, um, you know, because of grants and the competition there. Um, so it can get a little dicey there in that some of the information you learn, you know, 
I, you kind of learn um, what what kind of drives the whole thing and what you can say publicly, you know, because you do understand uh, that there's a lot of competition in this field in order to keep the labs running. Um, there's, you know, grant money at stake. So in certain areas, um, you know, they they potentially might not be forthcoming, you know, on some of the information, but some of that you have to understand the context of the competition that they're in. Right. Uh, you know, so we haven't run on to too much of that, especially once they understand that when you're talking with them in a very uh, uh, privileged environment is that you don't overstep your bounds and uh, uh, release uh, information and stuff that could potentially hurt their grants or uh, ruin a publication and stuff that's coming out with uh, identified information and, and this type of thing. But uh, for the most part, you know, they're pretty forthcoming on what we can divulge to the public and and so I haven't run on to a whole lot of resistance once they understand that there's a relationship of trust. And I think um, Donna has found the same thing. Certain researchers, when you start delving in and get pretty deep into their lab and, and what's going on and where we're going in the future, I, I think in the process of all of this, uh, in, in developing the knowledge and the friendships, uh, you so develop trust with that. And, that happens, you kind of run into less and less of um, uh, the ongoing problems there with giving information or, uh, you know, sharing the information with you readily, you know, because they understand that you're trying to get to the bottom of it. But, you know, there are some out there that kind of resist giving out the information or uh, getting involved with the community, but really not too many. Yeah. You know, once you develop the trust. Well, yeah. I, I appreciate that because, you know, really for our listeners, particularly those maybe who don't have those relationships or haven't um, frequented working to walk where there's an opportunity to meet with some of the scientists and, and especially over time interact with them. Um, you know, it's a, it's something in my last couple of presentations on the advocacy effort, I've made this comment that I think... Uh, more important than the money that we've been able to raise in our legislative efforts are the relationships that are developed uh, between the community and the scientists. And lately, I've been, I've been, as I've been uh, uh, describing working to walk this last year as we prepare for it, in a lot of emails and letters to potential sponsors and things, I, I often will write in there that, you know, one of the missions of Working to Walk is f to educate our SCI community about the science, but it's also to educate the scientists about our community, uh, and it, which really is a relationship. And so I really, I'm, I'm grateful to hear uh, some of those descriptions because I think it's important for our folks to, to understand that and also be inspired by you too, um, one who hated biology <laughs> and, and, one, and one who just took it upon herself to just start calling, writing, faxing uh, questions. And, uh, and, and I think that's true for all of us. Wherever we are, we can initiate those relationships and by and large, they will be welcomed. Uh, yes. So uh, 
Chris, let's go back to your, in a related way, your blog. So you have this blog, and actually there's a lot of scientists that are subscribers and PhD students or candidates that are subscribers. Um, how, is that, how has that played out over the years? Well, initially I started the blog with the idea that um, I could kind of put a lot of the information that I was finding that was most pertinent or uh, science that was really good coming out of the labs. Um, Basically, I would uh, subscribe to uh, a lot of the journals, anything open access that I could find or anything from science writers, uh, the various organizations, and I would kind of dissect what was... um, you know, coming to the forefront and important information. So I thought rather than um, trying to go all over the Internet and trying to find a piece here or a piece there, I thought maybe it would help the community if I put together a blog on WordPress where uh, anybody interested in spinal cord injury, uh, the research and what was happening and kind of getting a flavor for it would be able to look in just one location. And so we put together the blog and I put on post at least once, sometimes twice a week. And it basically follows the research and kind of what's going on in the community into one location. And by doing that, uh, we now have uh, quite a few subscribers to the blog. Some of them come on and just just watch uh, from afar. Other people are uh, subscribing to the blog via um, direct email. Some of us follow uh, the blog on Twitter and Facebook. And I think as of now, we've had over 186,000 views on that blog alone. So that tells me that there's a lot of interest out here in the community in uh, following the research and the science that's going on and uh, learning what's actually presented at the, science, at the Society for Neuroscience. Um, I'll put on some of the abstracts that the students are putting together or information I come out from um, come out with from meetings. Um, anything that I can pretty much find that's very pertinent to our community, I try to make sure that it hits the blog. And so there's... Um, we have quite a few views there, so a lot of people are interested in the blog. And um, so, yeah. So, Chris, just to interrupt you for one sec, but, um, for listeners who may not have heard of this, can you say the name of it again? What should they Google to find it? Uh, yes, um, it is called um, Spinal Cord Research and Advocacy at WordPress.com. So, Spinal Cord Research and Advocacy, that. Those words will get you there. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. type them in right now and see what happens. Yeah, see if it thank you. There. You bet. So um, uh, let's let's uh, turn a little bit into um, how do how does how do both of you work together as it pertains to the scientific advisory board. That is U2FPs, where we have a handful of scientists, leaders in their respective fields, who uh, review grant proposals on behalf of foundations, SCI foundations, that don't have the expertise to determine uh, whether this is good science or whether this is uh, something that they should invest the money that they have raised. Uh, And we have scientists who are willing to uh, do that for us 
uh, and thereby sort of also fill a gap um, where some some of these small and middle-sized foundations that might raise a good chunk of money need a little help in deciding, uh, you know, whether this is the best place to put their money. And then also, how does it intersect with working to walk and putting together the agenda year to year and following uh, following particular researchers who either have not ever presented or some who presented in the past and will present again? How does how does this all kind of uh, connect either of you well I'll let Donna go ahead and take the piece over the scientific advisory uh, board I think she can answer that and then I'll take the second half of the question on uh, how we put together uh, some agendas and speaker ideas okay Marquette University. Uh, Murray will be at Working to Walk this year to to give us an update. He's got some exciting uh, developments from his lab that he's going to be sharing. Uh, So, you know, there's these little pieces. I think what U2FP has tried to do over the years is find the gaps, whether it's to, first of all, educate which is what Working to Walk does. Uh, Kate, obviously, has played a big part in trying to educate the public with with her book. Um, SAB Oversight is helpful in directing the funding. People come to Working to Walk. They're motivated. They go out. They raise some money. What do you do with the money? (laughs) Um, So... We're trying to fill that gap there. We now have actually seven members on our SAB because we have found over the years that we we needed more expertise uh, in order to actually provide solid reviews on the grants that we're receiving. Uh, and, so we. So by that you mean you know you need a if uh, you don't want a, a rehab researcher reviewing exactly. stem, stem cell science or genetics, right? Right. Right. Yes. It, it, right. it has to do with we want to direct the the grant review to someone who actually has expertise in that area. Exactly. And uh, you know, SCI research, it's pretty broad. <laughs> there's there's quite a bit out there and not everybody knows everything about, you know, spinal cord injury research. So uh, I think we've got we've got a we've as people tell me, we have a highly respected SAB, and um, I had no trouble getting them to sign on. You know, like we spoke about before, they are willing to help us. They think we're doing some good work, and uh, they are willing to commit the time uh, to help us review these grants and answer many, many questions that we have and questions we receive from the community. And, and, and um, folks can, uh, just so you know, you can go to u2fp.org and look on our website and you can take a look at that collection of scientists on our SAB and some description of that. And these reviews, um, through the generosity of Jeff Kent, it was his idea, and when he came up with this idea, he funded it. So um, initially, Jeff was providing the funding for the reviews. The reviews are provided to organizations at no charge, uh, and we continue to provide them at no charge and uh, continue to seek money to to do that. So all donations are welcome. So Donna, can you like give the people an idea how much money you're talking about? Uh, well, since we started this, um, 
our SAB has reviewed over $5.8 million in grant requests, and of that $5.8 million, $4 million has been funded, and there's another $700,000 that's currently pending. I'm also working on two additional large grants uh, with two different organizations that are being prepared for our SAB to review. So where are those dollars coming from? Those dollars are coming from people that raise money. And put it at your disposal to then redistribute to scientists? No, not at our disposal. Uh, What they'll do, everybody uh, manages it a little differently. They come to us with the grant request. We uh, We don't direct it. So they will bring the grant request to us and ask us to have them reviewed to Uh provide the input. Um, Some organizations, uh, basically on their website, they will have that they're accepting grant applications. So researchers will apply and they'll get a handful of applications and our SAB will take a look at them. I see. So the function of the SAB is to give input to people who are dispersing the money. Correct. Okay. Good, thanks. Right. Um, some organizations have a researcher that they've been funding. Now they want to have the SAB weigh in on it. Mm-hmm. So they'll send us proposals from the researcher they've been working with. And just to be like 100% clear to people listening again, the reason this matters is that we, the community, through this mechanism, get a voice in how that money gets spent. It's our priorities being um sort of fed into the system in a way that they weren't before this. So, yay, thanks. So, Chris, how, how you, you are going to pick up on the working to walk uh, agenda piece. Oh, and, and how we go about um, uh, which scientists might be attending on which years. Um, Donna and I, over the years, uh, have worked very, very close on uh, the agenda as far as who's speaking and the different categories that come up, Uh, you know, whether it's a stem cell category that speakers will be talking about or the rehab piece or um, things like that. Uh, Basically, we'll be following the science and have uh, researchers that will come to a certain point that we think uh, the community would really like to hear from that particular uh, area of science and research going on in a particular lab. And we have kind of an ongoing list that we keep. um, And it's not just a a list that just appears uh, a month before working to walk. (laughs) This is an ongoing list (laughs) that actually uh, has been taking place for years. And sometimes, you know, we might have a researcher on that list that, uh, whose science is coming to fruition that uh, really has some uh, exciting results taking place in his lab. The speaker list that we put together every year uh, isn't something that's just developed at the last minute. Some of these speakers are actually on a list, and we watch their their science and the work that's happening in their lab over a period of years. So some of these scientists that we're watching and the research that they're doing within their labs, we'll keep an eye on that research for uh, a long period of time. They will remain on a a speaker list. And when we put together um, the agenda from year to year, we'll pull from that speaker list of 
what research they're doing and about where they're at. And then they're invited according to uh, the results that's being shown in that lab. So a lot of these speakers, some of them will remain on our list and be uh, working uh, through their lab results for two or three years at a time. Cool. Yeah, and also, you know, just having been a part of the process this year and last year for the first time, uh, you know, there's also this relationship to what city it's in and what research is happening in that area. And then increasingly, uh, this, this added piece of what's happening in some of the advocacy initiatives that we have going on. And so it, it also feels like there's this process of trying to connect a number of pieces together in addition to presenting, uh, you know, sort of a broad scope of what's happening, but also looking for these pieces where there's some, there's some new developments and some, some exciting developments that we want the community to be aware of. So how, how does that intersect with this year's agenda? I know, you know, we can't, well, I suppose we can, I mean, the agenda's up, so I guess we can't talk about it. <laughs> we're, not, we're not to hide anything or be secret. No, nope, right? it's not a secret. <laughs> nope. Well, part of it has to do with the location of where we're holding Working to Walk, because we do pull in um, some of the local research. Obviously, this year it's the Miami Project is who we're partnering with. So we have some research out of the Miami Project. Uh, Dalton Dietrich will provide us with an overview of what's going on there. Um, we have Paul Ryer from the University of Florida that I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Uh, Paul Ryer has been a researcher in the area of spinal cord injury for a number of years. I would consider him a pioneer. And I asked him to please share with us where he thinks the research is going, you know, where it's been, where's it's go- where it's going. Yeah. He thinks there's a lot of promise. He's very excited uh, by some of the recent developments. So I'm looking forward yeah, he, to hearing he, Yeah, he told me when I met with him earlier this year that... Uh, he he's an older gentleman, <laughs> um, and he said he he's he's been told he should retire, but he doesn't want to because he he said to to quote he said I think pay dirt is coming. That's what he said. Wow. <laughs> um, he's he just is is believing and and uh, committed to the idea that some of the advances are going to uh, to bear fruit soon. Pay dirt sounds good to me. It sure Bring does, it. doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does. Yeah. Uh, we have um, Jerry Silver, who I would put in the same category as Paul Ryer. I mean, he's been working in the area of spinal cord injury research his entire career. Um, and there's some good things happening in his lab, you know, finally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so that's that will be exciting. He has some things to share. He has a collaboration with the Cleveland Clinic. Um, it's true that uh, two heads are better than one. In this case, it's three. It's two researchers from Cleveland Clinic that are joining us uh, to talk about their collaboration with Jerry. So there's some promise there that uh, I think everybody will be interested in hearing. Um, Murray Blackmore is going to join, join us again to give us an update on what's going on in his lab. And, and I should also mention that that initial uh, grant that was funded 
uh, by Jeff Kent's organization that launched, uh, helped to launch Murray's lab. That has led to some substantial funding from the NIH, uh, which is important. Oftentimes, you know, we think, well, perhaps, you know, the small amount of money, maybe $30,000, $50,000, which is relatively small in the world of research. Um, it's those those grants, the smaller grants that keep a lab going forward in between getting larger grants. Mm. So, you know, we're filling gaps in that respect as well. That It's important, and it certainly was very important to Murray, and I know that there's been our SAB has reviewed grants for Jerry Silver's lab, and it's been equally important to the work in his lab. It has kept it truly alive, kept it going in between when he gets other grant monies. So, uh, you know, you don't want, you really don't want the research to sit there and not be working for you. You want to keep it going. You want to keep building on it. And it's some of these community donations that allow it uh, to continue to go forward. Yeah. I just have to pause us one more time and like think about the trajectory of a few parents, which is what you guys are. And myself, I am a spouse of a person with an injury, just saying, we care about this enough to try to make sure what Donna just described keeps happening. Like, we did not know anything, right? None of us knew anything about this process, about the research economy, about how the science works, about what's most promising, about who's doing the work, about the National Institutes of Health. I mean, nothing. You know, you start from a doctor sitting you down and saying, I have some really bad news. And then... Yeah. And then you don't just roll over for it, right? No. You just no. don't roll over for it. No. Like, uh, I, just, I really, I'm feeling that in this conversation a lot, that I know there are people who will hear this and go, oh, that's how this works. Like, you just raise your hand and show up. And eventually, things change. Well, and that's really the, the, the other piece of the puzzle is... All of this um, is obviously towards the goal of of providing curative therapies and the ultimate goal of cure for paralysis. And you know, so each of each of our stories represents an advocacy story. Um, the 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 piece of working to walk, you know, it's one of the things that I, I'm I'm really looking forward to is. Uh, you know, Donna mentioned Paul Ryer and Murray Blackmore, and there are others that are have been working in uh, regeneration or replacement, and we're really looking forward to putting several of them on a panel together to to talk about um, the larger context of their research, uh, because one of the things sometimes I fear in our in our broader SCI community is that uh, you just hear. When are we going to get some stem cells or just squirt me with some stem cells or, you know, that kind of talk, say, in social media. And we really wanted to provide some context with these folks who are doing stem cell research, but in very different ways and at sort of different priorities and different stages uh, to really help explain that. And then the other that I'm also really looking forward to is the conversation that I'll have with you, Kate, and Chet Moritz in... Uh, from Seattle uh, because of your work to pass legislation there to fund research. 
um, which we're excited about and really want to let people know what you guys did and tell a little bit of your story because everybody there is capable of doing really cool stuff if we don't roll over. Yeah, we just we sent out the call for um, proposals last week, so we're pretty excited. By the time we get to Miami, we will have chosen where to spend the first bolus of cash, yeah. which, I mean, it's $400,000. It's going to, you know, some work will be done that wouldn't otherwise have been done. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. And for those of you who want to hear more about that, we otherwise we would continue talking about it. We did... Uh, podcast that I'm not sure if it'll come before or after this with Chet Moritz and we did talk about some of that process on that podcast so take a listen um, and then also we're going to have a conversation with Kelsey Peterson and Maddie Brown who have, are, are in the process of making a movie called The Cure Map um, and it's just another uh, another example of someone sort of not taking it and saying I'm going to go f- learn I'm going to go find out, and I'm going to go ask some of the hard questions. Uh, Kelsey and Maddie traveled the United States, meeting with researchers and advocates and folks from the SEI community, and it's partly her personal journey. She's in, she has an injury. It's been injured for several years now. Uh, but it's also an example of what you can do when you're, you apply your creative energies towards advocating to, to help move this dial, to help speed things along. So I think it's going to be a cool. I think it's going to be a cool conference. Me too. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, I think that that pretty much wraps it up. Unless uh, Donna, you or Chris uh, have something else to say or add. Nope. I just hope everyone that uh, has the opportunity to come to Miami to join us for Working to Walk will. Uh, we've got it's it's a good agenda, and I hope everybody can, even if you don't attend working to walk, uh, you know everyone that wants to advance research finds an opportunity to participate in the process so we can move it forward quicker. Um, we all need to be working with a sense of urgency. Amen. Yep. Yes, I would express the same thing. Is definitely get involved with working to walk and. Uh, you know, don't don't think just because you uh, don't have a certain forte or something that you're excellent at doing, just jump in there, raise your hand and say, well, that's that's something that I could probably help with. You know, what can I do? You know, it's it's a good time to connect with other people and um, uh, offer what you have, uh, no matter how inconsequential you might think it is. Everything that you do to help the cause uh, it helps us come a little bit closer to finding a therapy or a cure. So, yeah, become involved. And those are no empty words coming from you. Yeah, yeah, you just you just have to dig in and say, I, I just have to do something. And so no matter what you offer, you know, it will be of help, definitely. Great. Yeah, we need to add value to this crummy situation that we have found ourselves in. So, um, more participants. Yes. yes. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, appreciate the conversation. Uh, it's really been fun to hear both of your stories and and hear your passion and uh, and kind of what's taken place over the years. I'm I'm indebted to both of you in so many ways. I mean, actually, all three of you in so many ways, uh, and, and I appreciate it. 
So thanks. And for those of you who uh, you know who want to put a picture or a, a little more explanation to this conversation, please go to u2fp.org. And uh, you can read about some of these programs. Uh, certainly, you can look back to Working to Walk. Uh, we have a video library of many of the conferences past. Uh, you can take a look at presentations that have been there, and you can look at the agenda and all the relevant information for this uh, coming Working to Walk Symposium, October 13th and 14th in Miami. Uh, registration is open. Um, so come and join us. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you, Chris. And as always, Kate, uh, it's been a pleasure. Same to you, Matt. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.